there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. This is another one of those episodes that showcases how no matter what you major in as an undergrad, and no matter what career you may start out in as a young professional, in fact, the sky is the limit in terms of how what you can do with your degree and your on-the-job experience can help you move into different careers. So grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Daniel Seberg, who is the CEO and founder, alongside his sister, of IO. Daniel previously had been the co-founder of a blockchain-based startup after spending six years at Google, building two teams in support of journalism and serving as Google spokesperson. Previously, Daniel spent 15 years covering technology, science space, and the environment for a variety of news outlets, which included CBS News, ABC News, CNN, and he was also a regular contributor to a ton of other news organizations, including the BBC, PBS, MSNBC, the Discovery Channel, Salon and Details. Daniel has been nominated for five news and documentary Emmy Awards. His first book, The Digital Diet, was published in 2011, and we are certainly going to be discussing it because it is incredibly relevant even eight years later. Daniel, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Andrea, it's great to be with you. I am, I think, fully caffeinated for the for the morning anyway. And as you were describing my career or my life, it, it's funny because as you as you get older, you sort of look back and think, I guess that was me. <laughs> you yes. look back. You're sort of like looking down a ladder. <laughs> Absolutely. I also tend to describe it as we start off our careers as a little snowball on the top of a very big hill. Yeah. And as you progress in your life and your career, the snowball is getting bigger and bigger and bigger with all of the experiences that you've gained so that hopefully you are living the life that you want to be living because by the time you get to the bottom of that hill. Oh gosh, and the peaks and valleys in between. Definitely, definitely. I need to work on the metaphor, but you get the basic oh, no, idea. Yeah, exactly. So before we get into the various twists and turns that you have taken in your career to date, I would love to talk with you, Daniel, about what you're doing right now with your latest startup called IO. Yes. What is IO? Which I believe stands for Ideas and Optimism. That's right. And it's also the I, so it's lowercase i, uppercase O, and the uppercase I, lowercase O is for the space enthusiasts out there, myself among them, the fourth largest moon of Jupiter. It's also the celestial body in our solar system with the least amount of water. And in the way that we're asking people to imagine going to a new place, that what we're doing probably feels a bit different than what's perhaps been done in the past. It's also a place of scarcity. It's a moon shot in the way that Io represents a moon, and it's a sphere. Also, it was created in my head on 1010, as in October 10th of last year. And so 
as a, a recovering journalist and somebody who loves to just take notes and write a journal, I'd written the date and the date was 1010, which is also binary. And so for people who are fascinated with technology, it represents a zero one and, and sort of a true false on off. And I just started noodling on what one zero or IO could represent. I landed on ideas and optimism. I think any people could sort of insert whatever they prefer. And to sum up what we're doing, well, we have a hardware and a software component of, of our startup. And I'd say that in a nutshell, we're building a spherical device that has empathic AI at the center of it in service of what people need and putting an emphasis on respecting people's time. And our tagline is because time spent is a conscious choice. And so I feel fortunate to be talking with you about it because we're at an early stage. We're seeking seed money as, as startups do early on. And we're having a lot of really exciting conversations, which has been heartening to me as a former co-founder and now as a CEO and founder. So what are you telegraphing to your future consumers, to your future investors when you say that IO stands for ideas and optimism? Are you saying that they are lacking online or just that we need more of them? I think a bit of both. And I think that we like to imagine that if you work at IO, you're an ION, uh, in that when I worked at Google, you were a Googler, to self-identify within positivity and that an ION within the physics and space science world is a positively charged atom or molecule, or as chemists think about it, and that we'd like to believe that what we're doing is in service of positivity and that we're adding efficiency through what we're building in service of what humans need globally. And just as a quick historical point of reference, my great-great-grandfather and his brother, Henry and Otto Seberg, had a business that they ran in the early part of the 20th century called Seberg Salts. And they were chemists from the University of Heidelberg, and they created this chemical compound that cleaned the flaking and scaling out of the inside of steam engines that were powering the Industrial Revolution. And in the way that people often describe artificial intelligence or AI as the new steam engine, We'd like to imagine that if you were to start again with a spherical device in the way that I've sort of alluded to, puts people first, their time first, and thinks about what people need, doesn't provide a huge distraction, but still serves us in ways that hopefully feel beneficial in this time deficit world that we live in, then we can put a value on that that doesn't feel frivolous, that doesn't feel like something that nobody wants or needs. And I like to tell my daughters that there's, I need I want and I would like. And we hope that this feels like something that people need. And I can sort of talk about some of the wellness aspects and, and what we'd like to wrap up in this sphere. But I think that I, in the journey that I've taken up through my ancestral tree, have learned a lot about what it means to create anything new and, and why, why I do that. Because one of my leadership gurus in the world is Simon Sinek, who wrote a book called Start With Why. And I think that's that was how this journey began for me. Why, why me? Why anything? Why something new? And I think all too often entrepreneurs and, and people who do want to go off and create something skip over that part and they think about the what or the how or the money that they're going to make or whatever it is that inspires people in the beginning. But I'd like to think that we're coming to this from a thoughtful, mindful place. So before we get into more about what IO will encompass, can you share with us 
why this idea evolved and how long ago you landed on this concept? I would say that it grew out of a crisis in my life. What I've learned from so many humans on this planet is that every crisis represents an opportunity. And I was coming out of a startup that I had been fired from. I turned into something of a whistleblower to call out what I thought was not great human behavior, but perhaps more importantly to the business world, a revenue model that wasn't working and people who I felt like were perhaps following something that wasn't leading to what they imagined. And it turned my life upside down in that uh, I've been in the process of going through a divorce and dealing with losing all the money I had in the world and going into debt and basically becoming something of a poster child for midlife crises in the way that I told my mom the other day, why not just go through every midlife crisis in a year or what? So I I think I, I came to a point in my life where I sort of wondered what or why I was even here. Not that I was feeling depressed, but I was feeling unmotivated. And I feel like I felt like I'd lost the purpose in my life uh, in a way that I couldn't have foreseen when I left Google, in a way that I wouldn't even have allowed myself to imagine when I was working at this company called Civil, and in a way that I think taught me so much about what it means to believe in yourself. And we haven't launched the product. We have some amazing designs and product people and engineers and marketers and all sorts of people who have been in these conversations to help even get this far after a little over six months. But in the way that it's been incredibly rewarding to just go down this path and this journey, that that's really where it grew out of. And I think I've basically gotten to a point where it, everything that we're doing right now is the sum total of my time on earth. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. And I'm so sorry for the pain that you are experiencing and have been experiencing. I do believe that those really shitty experiences that we have in our life, professional and personal, do help us, if we're open to it, get to a deeper sense of joy and fulfillment if we allow ourselves to go there. And it feels like that's what you're doing. And I think it would be great if you could lay out some of the services or offerings that IO will have for Mm -hmm. consumers once it becomes a product that we can all tap into. You know, I grew up fascinated with the story of Pinocchio in that Pinocchio became a, quote, real boy instead of just being a puppet. And right now, we aren't a a real product. We haven't given birth, if you will, to what it is that people can see and touch. But if people can just use their imaginations for a second and imagine a spherical object that can fit in your hand in the way that a marble, a bigger marble feels or a small ball or whatever it is that people just tangibly hold in their hand. And I like to carry them around when I go to meetings. And, you know, Jeff Hawkins, when he created the Palm Pilot, the legend is he used to go into meetings with a block of wood to just ask VCs and investors to use their imagination. And he broke a chopstick in half to think about what a stylus would look like. So everything starts somewhere and everything was nothing before it was something. So if you just imagine that first, what we'd like to put in the center of it is an empathic artificial intelligence that thinks about your time 
ahead of anything else. And what we mean by that is creating experiences around news consumption. We think it's important for people all over the world to be informed and to do it in a way that feels like it's aligned with their own life, their own time demands. So the content inside of it could be 3D. We're working with some product teams to think about OLED and 3D in the center of a spherical device? Could faces be inside there? Could some new form of content be in there from the news industry? And then, of course, there's an audio experience that you and I are doing right now through podcasts and through news consumption that we think can be steered through an AI that cares about your life, Andrea's life, or Daniel's life in a way that may not be the same for everyone. So a a unique experience. We also think about uh, healthcare and, and wellness and the way that we think of the artificial intelligence as being a bit of a switchboard operator. My my mom and my grandma were switchboard operators in their careers. And my grandma worked for Bell Canada. So I like to think of her as Grandma Bell in the way that <laughs> in the way that a, a switchboard operator provides you with a reassuring voice that potentially what we see is connecting people to wellness and healthcare professionals in times of need. One of the statistics that I took away from Google was that there are 3 billion searches a day on Google all over the world. And of those, one in 20, so about 150 million every day, has to do with health and wellness. And not this isn't a knock on Google, but we've reached a point where we rely heavily on a few blue links that may get us to the information we want or may just create more anxiety and unease. And human beings are still essential in our healthcare journey. So we'd like to think that the AI can connect you to wellness professionals, to doctors, nurses, people who are available to to help you in times of need. We also want to put multi-language at the center of it so that if you had a beacon, we're calling it the beacon. So if you had a beacon and I had a beacon, as somebody who spent almost 10 years in scouting, we think of it as sort of your own private campfire. And in the way that it's the opposite of social media, you could have a small campfire of trusted individuals and communicate with them through your beacon whenever it was that you felt the need. It could light up in different ways. It could show you their faces. It could record a message. But it starts to become something that feels intimate and quiet rather than shouting, which I think perhaps arguably we've all reached that point where two dimensions, social media have all led us down a path of not feeling fulfilled in our lives. And the last way that we think about it is saving your memories. And in a way that as the grandson of an Alzheimer's victim, I worry the most about forgetting my life and not remembering what it is that I did. And sometimes we get those reminders of what we did on a particular day through Facebook or Google. Here are some photos from this particular day. But we can't remember the context and what happened and who we were with and what else happened that day. And it's not just the days and the photos that we're all smiling and happy that we necessarily should or want to remember. And part of the AI's job as an empathic AI should be to help you remember your life and learn from it and evolve from it, remind you of what you can do tomorrow. And so a, a device that feels like it's serving your needs, that's unique to you, and that isn't a waste of time. You know, the average person spends three and a half hours a day on their smartphone. And if you're like most of us and many of us, you have a difficult time putting together a value equation between the time you spent and whatever you got out of it. So we'd like to think that a spherical device can engender more empathy, trust, three dimensions. You know, we have got all sorts of future thoughts on this becoming a projection device in the home what it means to create these private campfires that you can share, whatever it is that you're comfortable sharing. And a lot of this, we feel like, is technology that is available today. And we're imagining it in a spherical device to sort of take 
down the Black Mirror episode that we've all fallen into. And it is, I suppose, in that way, a disruptive concept. And for people who come across it, they have some tough questions for us about what that all means. Boy, I can really see, I mean, down to the campfire metaphor that you just painted there, Daniel, how this really is tapping into so many different parts of your life. One of them was, of course, the book that I referenced in the introduction, The Digital Diet, that you wrote back in 2011 that was really ahead of the zeitgeist. It was a four-step plan and is a four-step plan to break your digital addiction and regain balance in your life. Were you thinking about finding a solution to our overuse, to our addiction to our smartphones and the rise of feelings of depression, loneliness, and unhappiness with the beacon and with IO? You know, it's funny how the dots have all been connected in this way. I think when I wrote the book, I held myself up as somebody who had lost the balance. And a lot of that was the nature of my job in that I was consuming and I was covering science and technology and was constantly buying new stuff or signing up for something and spending all my time online. And I I, I wrote the book as a bit of a, a self-help book because I think it helped me, <laughs> frankly, first. And I needed to get past that moment in time. And I think, you know, if I can sum up my entire existence as a scout storyteller, as somebody who loves to run to the frontier see what's happening out there and then run back and and tell everybody about it. I think the book and the way that it probably seemed ahead of its time then now perhaps feels like uh, (laughs) ancient history because we all feel it in some ways. And so in the way that there are parallels between food and technology and the choices we make, and we like to say because time spent is a conscious choice, introducing a new product into the world was something I had to wrestle with a little bit. Am I adding to the problem? Am I helping what people are feeling? And I would like to think that the evolution of AI and devices, and you know, the reality is that what we're building may not be in people's hands for a year or two or longer. And that's okay, because I really hope that for anybody to want to spend any money or time with something new as a device should feel like it's in service of you. And we've reached that point now to me. Daniel, I believe this is your second startup. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I would love for you to share with us about how a former journalist, albeit one that has covered the tech industry and, and then worked in it at Google, for a combination of about 21 or so years, has the necessary skills to build an AI-powered startup? Hmm. Well, you know, it's a lot of (laughs) (laughs) self-reassurance. I think that (laughs) I think there's a danger in having too much hubris in life to just assume that you can do anything perfectly. And I think I've tried to learn as much as I possibly can from so many others who have succeeded. And I've had the good fortune of interviewing so many tech luminaries over the years who taught me so much about what it took for them to get to their moon. And sometimes I think of the movie Gattaca, if people can remember a movie with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman that came out almost 20 years ago, maybe more than 20 years ago. And in that way, Ethan Hawke stood on Earth and watched all these rockets get up to their moons. 
or their planets. And I feel like I, <laughs> I have a lot of empathy for how he felt in that movie, staring up at the sky and thinking about what it took to get there. And I hope I have enough to get into my rocket ship and get to the moon of Io. I don't know if, well, here's what I do know. I believe in what we're doing. I'd like to believe that I have learned enough. Will we face challenges and headwinds and, and technical issues and naysayers and, and people who say no or maybe or yes, all of it. And in a way, that's the good stuff. And, you know, the difficulty for so many startups is getting the fuel to just begin the journey. And, you know, I had the opportunity to cover a few space shuttle launches at Kennedy Space Center and one of them for CNN live as the anchor who was talking just before you heard the countdown. And I can remember the, the chills it gave me to feel those shuttles leave the Earth and the force required. And to think of all the people who were the astronauts, of course, who were on the shuttle, but also all the people who were saying, go, go, you can do it, you can do it. And it gives me goosebumps now to just think about what that takes. And the reality, the, the sort of pragmatic, harsh reality is that we're not even at the launch pad yet. We haven't got the, the funds yet. We're only early in even reaching out to the right entities, we think, to get us there. But that's a harsh reality that every startup faces. And I, I take a lot of solace in, in looking around at the rocket ships and startups that have gotten to where they want to go. They received funding. And sometimes I you know, have those moments of self-doubt and wonder, to your question, of, of whether I have what it takes, you know, the, the right stuff, if you will. And it's a, it's a difficult quality to define. And to think that you do, to me, is this balancing act between overconfidence and not believing enough in yourself and how to send that message to the right people who want to support you, knowing that you'll have your failures and moments of mistakes and learning and everything else that goes with it. But just to get through each day and say, all right, we're here now. We're going to get to this step. And you just connect the dots and keep moving forward. And I think that's all anyone can do and certainly all all we can do. Yes. And I think it's so important for our young listeners to hear someone like you, Daniel, who is still at the relative beginning of your moonshot and not just hear the end of the story, because this is what it's really like. And I think those universal feelings of both incredible excitement and occasional doubt, self-doubt, occasional worry, occasional frustration. You know, all of this is the real deal. And I can't wait to have you back when IO is a hugely successful company and we can revisit all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a song called Acrobat by you 2 and there's a line in it that Bono maybe got from somewhere else. But the line is, in dreams begin responsibilities. And the wonderful truth is that even when you get some amount of success, that isn't the end of the journey. And that you carry a tremendous amount of responsibility as a CEO, as a leader, to empower others, to bring them with you. That kind of mentality, I think, is important to retain. 
because people sometimes have a tendency to look at startups or entrepreneurship as some sort of lottery that you just cash out and then everything's perfect. And I don't know anybody who experienced that. Even the tech luminaries who I've had the opportunity to interview would say that they struggled at one time or another, or they lost everything and then gained it back or got to a point where they were okay with where they were at. And I think that this is where I like to think that I've just been so fortunate to get to this point, Andrea, with you and I talking, and that I feel like at any point over the last (laughs) 47 years, there were probably lots of moments that I could have died or been homeless or been, you know, I had back surgery uh, six years ago. I'm happy to walk without pain and in ways that people sometimes think they're getting to some sort of finish line and that there's some moment where we all get a medal and say, we've ta-da, we've arrived. It is the journey. It isn't the destination. And if you can be okay with who you are and why you're doing anything, then any amount of success you should enjoy and appreciate and know that Maybe those days are ahead for some amount of time. Maybe you'll see others around you who need you and are going through something difficult. And I've had to hold on to that a lot over the past six months as we've been in this. And, oh, God, Andrew, I've met so many thousands of people who are in ways that we would measure that they don't, quote, have anything. And yet, and yet, they have this happiness in their eyes and their minds in their glow in the way that they embrace life and they take that from music or from their family or from some food or water that they get that day and i would use the word blessed i would say that as somebody who thinks about beliefs a lot and existentialism that there are many gods and a universe out there that we're only just beginning to understand we only went to the moon not even 50 years ago and i i feel every day just lucky to get coffee (laughs) and to be able to connect with people who I care about. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for remembering that and and centering on that during times of difficulty and uncertainty, because that, that is the reality of any startup journey. And I don't think that I fully appreciated that previously. I think I got some wind of that when I was at Google and certainly when I was reporting on these companies. But when you're in it, you really begin to appreciate the value of that. Yes. And being in the moment. Mm. It's really hard, especially when you're a startup, to not think in the when. When we get our first tranche of seed money, when we get our series A, when we get our this and not hold on to the excitement and the uncertainty of the now. Exactly. And to remember that any amount of financial or monetary success that comes out of something like this can provide choices, as I like to think that money does, that it allows you to travel perhaps or to live a bit more comfortably or whatever it is that's valuable to you, but that none of that will make you happier. And I've gained a lot from wellness practices, from therapy to taking care of myself to quitting drinking a couple years ago, which was something that I just felt was important to, you know, just taking on this kind of growth mindset that Gwen Dwyer and others talk about that we can continue to learn at any age in life. And 
that's where I hope to retain the brain cells that I have left. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I also party sober and quit mm-hmm. drinking a year ago and encourage young people to consider that lifestyle because it is a thousand percent possible to have a very happy, fulfilling social life without substances, uh, those other substances. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Daniel. That is just really touching to hear how much generosity of spirit you have. I want to flashback, not quite so far back to when you were a little kid, Mm -hmm. but to when you were an undergrad at the University of Victoria in Canada, where you got your bachelor's in fine arts Mm -hmm. in writing. Mm -hmm. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? And how soon after you graduated, did you get your master's in journalism with a specialization in technology? Well, I took the scenic route through my undergrad (laughs) in that it took me the better part of seven years. And part of that was because I did the co-op program at UVic, which allows you to do four months school, four months work. And so I I worked at a number of different jobs. Some of them were in journalism. Some of them were in the government, in, in communications. And I did feel, I would say, a little adrift. I was taking early on astronomy courses and psychology, and I just couldn't quite figure out where my skills would apply. And I love to write. I love to create. I, I was doing some theater and creating nonfiction and fictional works. I would say that what really... What really forced me to focus was the death of my stepmother. When she died in 1998 at the young age of 40. Oh my gosh. And, uh, yes, and it was sudden and tragic, and it was something that hit me in a, in a way that made me think of my own mortality and what I wanted to do with my life. So I accelerated the end of my undergrad degree and jumped into grad school right away because I thought, I've got to meet people who can help me get to whatever it is that will feel fulfilling. And because I combined journalism and technology, I think it allowed me to have more options and choices when I graduated. Well, you went on to spend 15 years as a tech reporter. Then you leapt into the private sector and you joined Google, where you spent six years building teams in support of journalism, and you also served as Google's spokesperson. How intentional was your move to Google, Daniel? Mm. In other words, did you know at some point during the 15 years you were a journalist that eventually you might want to start your own company, but realized you didn't have any private sector experience? Or was it more of a gradual awakening? I think it was a Probably more the latter in that I reported on companies like Google over the years that I was covering technology and never, I could never figure out why they'd want to hire someone like me in that I wasn't an engineer. I, uh, you know, didn't have an MBA. I, I just thought, well, I can't possibly jump over the bar that's required to, to work at a place like Google. And I was recruited in that at a certain point, one of my former colleagues at CNN was working at Google and she reached out to me and said, well, you know, we're thinking about this role and it's a bit amorphous, like so much of life at Google is not defined in the way that a traditional job might be. And we're asking you to come in and 
help to build this and think about the future with us. And that to me was just, it, it pushed all my buttons of being able to build something and that they thought that I could come in and add some, some value. You know, I spent six years to the day at Google by design and that I, I really wanted to have a bit of a, <laughs> an anniversary moment. And I would say that my path to Google was not obvious to me as I was going through my life. I would say that a lot of times people look at anyone who works at Google and thinks, how did you get to Google or how, to, how what, what was sort of your strategy to, to get a job there and how hard was it? And I think, well, it was challenging. It was difficult. Being there, working there is, is tremendously challenging and fulfilling. I would say that the exit out of Google was maybe even more difficult in imagining what to do next because companies like Google provide for their employees in ways that feel comfortable and you get free food and you get a lot of flexibility and you might travel well, and meet some amazing people and you work on some incredible projects and you think globally at scale and it's just every time you turn around, you're inspired by somebody you work with. And to leave a place like Google and to go on to do something on your own, whether you're co-founding something or starting your own project is scary. And that's where at age now 47, I was uh, 45 when I left Google. I really thought, wow, <laughs> this is now the frontier, Daniel. <laughs> this is uncharted territory that you could never have imagined 20, 25 years ago, because there is no one formula for success. And as anyone will tell you in startups, your path to success or creating anything is not the same as anyone else's. Should we reach a point of feeling some amount of success? The biggest success for me will be the rewards of others. You know, when I was in scouting or when I coached soccer for 10 years and I played soccer for 20 years and I never got more enjoyment out of winning than when I was a coach and would see young people excited about overcoming their own insecurities and their own self-doubt. And I, I love that orientation of, of feeling like a coach. And that to me is the opportunity in all this that others can benefit from whatever it is that we accomplish. Well, here's another opportunity for you to help young people benefit from perhaps a time in your professional life, Daniel, when you really struggled and you have touched on this over the course of our interview. Maybe you got fired like mm -hmm. me when I mm -hmm. was at CNN and I was 43 years old and they didn't renew my contract or I had been there for 14 years. Or perhaps you just didn't really like what you were doing and hated going to work. And so you quit. Whatever the case is, could you please share a story with our Java Junkie community and especially how you persevered mm. and came through the other side? You know, there have been so many moments like that in some ways. And I think, I think certainly being fired when I was at Civil, and this was only last year, and what that meant, because I envisioned a far different future for myself that was about the millions of dollars, and it was about providing for my family, and it was about creating some amount of success and journalism, and it was about blockchain and about innovation. And I thought, this, this is my time. And that, that was a, an experience that did require me to seek the help of others, to counsel me, to talk it through. I benefited from an incredible therapist who's in Brooklyn. She helped me to talk about what I was feeling, which I think is 
so incredibly valuable, whether you look at it from a religious standpoint and a confession where people go in and just share whatever it is that they think they've done wrong and just to get it off your chest and to be able to say for others to say, look, don't worry about it. Don't, it's no big deal. You can get through this. And, you know, there's that adage that, of course, we've all heard where whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And of course, we all hear that these are cliches or that they're well-trodden and well, we shouldn't, you know, ah, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. The reality is that those are said over and over again over generations because they're true. And that when you can push through something that feels like it was the end, there is a new beginning on the other side. For every door that closes, there's another that opens. And I think even when I was let go at CBS at a time where I thought I was at the peak of my career and they didn't renew my contract and I thought, oh, what am I going to do next? I will say that I can remember being on the subway after just kind of going through all these conversations and at that point feeling a sense of freedom and a sense of choice and a sense of thinking, okay, okay, I get to, I get to, the opportunity is to dream it all up again. And in a way that we sometimes think that somehow something else is controlling our path or our destiny. And if we can all remember that we have the freedom of choice and that we can recover from anything and we can get back to where we were and maybe even beyond that or be happy with wherever we are and forget about people's judgment and forget about what it is that others think of what we're doing. And just to remember to be happy with ourselves. And I think the last thing I'll just summarize with all this is that something that I benefited from service and from journalism is the emphasis on truth. And if we can be honest with ourselves and honest with others and be vulnerable and be transparent and admit our shortcomings and failings, we discover so much about the world and about what we're capable of doing rather than feeling like we have to be this perfect human all the time. And the pressure that we put on ourselves can be so debilitating. I feel eternally grateful every day to even be at this moment where you and I are talking. So Absolutely. And to your point about the sense of freedom, Daniel, that you felt after CBS had let you go, I too, it took me probably nine months or a year to fully appreciate what a gift CNN had given me mm. by letting me go. Because at that point, my son was three and a half years old and I had been miserable at CNN since he had been born because I was burning the candle at both ends. I mm. almost never saw him during the week. And for a whole variety of reasons, I didn't have the courage to leap. I I remember coming home crying at the end of the day and my husband would say to me, then quit. And mm. I would say, but I don't know what else I could do. Mm -hmm. And so when CNN cut the cord and I then made the decision not to continue in journalism, it was like all of these other doors opened to me. And even though I hadn't had the courage while I was at CNN, I also hadn't had the headspace to think about what else I might want to do. And so it is often in those times of where you're in a holding pattern or it feels like a holding pattern. It feels like you're in a black hole to go to your science background. Mm -hmm. And there is no clear path forward that you can actually discover the greatest opportunities. And I believe that 
with all my being that even when to our young listeners, you may be in a holding pattern right now, feeling like you don't know what you're going to do next. Maybe you've graduated, maybe you're about to graduate and you have no clue. Try to see that as an incredible opportunity. And there is no wrong next step. You may be cleaning toilets at the Burger King. You may be mucking out stalls the way that Daniel was at Mm -hmm. various points in his life. In my case, you may be in a job that doesn't feel like it's going to become your career. But years from now, you will look back on those experiences and say, oh, it makes sense. I'm tapping into those emotions I felt when I was doing that menial job or when I was bored in that other position because of the people that I met or because of the experiences that I had that are now helping me in the creation of this next experience that I'm about to embark on. So thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. And we now have our final time for coffee question, which is if you could go back to the University of Victoria and do it all over again. But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Mm, I would say to young Daniel, (laughs) (laughs) right? to, um, to appreciate the moment, to breathe (laughs) and to enjoy the time you have with the people around you right now because they may not always be in your life either and to learn as much as you can and to continue to feel like you can learn and that university college those are institutions of learning but not the only places where you can learn and to really give yourself time and and focus on the here and now and know that the the sun will come up tomorrow, as I like to say to my daughters. And that's a pretty definite. <laughs> but I'm yeah. guessing it that when you're saying it to your daughters, there's a tune <laughs> that you're singing <laughs> to. <laughs> I want to say, Daniel, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. You have so much wisdom and empathy and kindness and just amazing qualities that I know are going to make IO and the Beacon a huge success and whatever else it is that you decide to put your mind and your heart to. Thank you so, so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Andrea. Gratitude for me and um, I hope my mom and my dad hear this because, you know, ultimately your your parents are so important in your life. And, and uh, I think for them to hear what you just said would be the ultimate. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.